Alana Lanier, what is your favorite game? My favorite game is Pikmin 3. So when I was growing up, video games were for boys. I wasn't really allowed to touch them. Um, my brother had video games and my cousins had video games and my family, friends, and the kids down the block, they all had video games. So I played everyone else's video games. And it wasn't until that my brother was complaining that I was using his Game Boy too much that I finally got my own Game Boy just to appease my brother. So my first game that I owned was uh, a Game Boy Color and Pokemon Yellow. But mm. I played games far before that. Um, I think the earliest one I remember is playing in a Hilton Hotel lobby with my dad. It was a, uh, I think, Sega driving car game. So I drove the little steering wheel and he pressed on the pedal, one of those standing ones. Um, and he, thought, he said I was very good at it. And so I was like, ooh, I'm good at something. And... Dopamine, <laughs> chasing that ride ever since. <laughs> Literally chasing the dragon, basically. <laughs> yeah, but um, I have some great memories of like even the N sixty four is my favorite console to this day, and one of my favorite memories was all the lads were in the room playing um Mario sixty four, and they could not figure out where to get the flying cap. And they were playing for like two, three hours and I was watching them because that's what I did. I basically solved the puzzles for them. And then they went outside to play, I don't know, Nerf guns or something. And I kind of like looked around, no one was there. So I picked up the controller and I was kind of just messing around in that lobby area. And if you remember in Mario 64, in order to get the flying cap, you have to look up at the ceiling in the lobby. So I was looking all around. And I happened to look up and I found the flying cap. And then I did the course, got them the cap and they came in and they saw me flying around. I was like, how did you do that? I was like, oh, you know, I'm just good at this. I'm great at video games. <laughs> I am better than you at video games. Don't you fucking forget it. <laughs> Hold it over their head. <laughs> Hold it over their heads forever for the rest of their lives until I go to their graves, basically. Yeah, pretty much. You remember that time I found the flying cap? Yeah. Step off. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then what, what else from there? Um, well, I basically got my brother's hand-me-down. So every time there was a new generation, I got the latest one. So in high school, even though the new generation was, I think, the... It was definitely the Xbox, if not the Xbox 360 at that point. So my brother had gotten that, therefore I got his GameCube. So in early high school, middle school sets, um, age like 13 to 16 or so, around that age, teenage years, um, that's when I was playing GameCube games. So I fell in love with Pikmin and with uh, Paper Mario, Thousand Year Door. I really loved those games. So my favorites are like that N64 GameCube, because that's kind of what I grew up in the most. Um, Diddy Kong Racing. Anytime I play Diddy Kong Racing, I crave pizza because we'd always eat pizza and then play Diddy Kong Racing. 
I think we're starting to get the sense that these sorts of games invoke sort of a special kind of nostalgia here. Yeah, yeah. And they itch something nice in the brain. It's just like, it's safe, it's warm. I like to say while I'm playing because I have bad anxiety and I get really sweaty palms when I play games. Um, I like to say I trust Nintendo. Like these games were made for seven-year-olds. If Nintendo, who I trust will make a game for a seven-year-old, and a seven-year-old was playtested, and they were able to figure this out. I am safe. It is okay. <laughs> I can play this. It's not that challenging. <laughs> I feel like... I, I don't know. When you mentioned how you, you were um, going back to the N64 and GameCube games and eating pizza, it just, feel, it just feels very st- stereotypically... Nintendo in a way. Yeah, doesn't it? It was all in the ads and such too. Like I yeah. I do remember like the all the lights out, two AM, just the crinkle static screen going from the old tallies and like that noise and that glow light lighting up with our little sleeping bags and living room floor. Like it's so nostalgic. And Nintendo knows that and then spits that back at us. So I guess it's a chicken and the egg situation. <laughs> <laughs> It really is. <laughs> oh God! And and what 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 outside of Nintendo? What other sort of things sort of stick out for you? Well, I love 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 visual novels. That's why I have a visual novel studio, because I love love loved books growing up. And then when I found out that I can play a book as a video game, and I loved choose your own adventure books, like the ones from the seventies, where you'd flip to this page if you did that. So I've basically been playing visual novels, but in book form for as long as I can remember. Um, it was when I was a teenager that I was I discovered visual novels because often, as most people who love visual novels do, the first foray into visual novels is uh, H-games and Atome games. <laughs> so you discover those <laughs> and you play the dating sims and you, you know, fall in love with the main character and... A lot of visual novels tend to be very LGBT friendly, so they're a great place to explore those types of feelings. Um, a lot of them have many toxic traits that you don't realize until you're older, just like with porn, right? Like a 13-year-old going on to Pornhub doesn't know what they're looking at as fantasy and that that's not what it actually is. It's a storyline and you're not actually supposed to, well, you can, but consensually do these things with people. Like it's, it's the, the fantasy is not real life. So uh, I think visual novels sometimes, um, especially the more graphic raunchy ones tend to fall into that category where they could lead you astray as to telling you what life is going to be like. But Mm -hmm. um, for the most part, I played those like really emotive heavy ones where like I'm not going to say any names I don't need anyone knowing what I'm into (laughs) where like you fall in love with a character and you go on this road trip together and and you get to know them and then under the stars you do things for the first time all that stuff so I loved those types of games obviously as a teenager because what teenager uh doesn't (laughs) and then um, I learned that visual novels is a wider genre than just H games. So I kind of played a lot of visual novels and JRPGs, and those were my go-to. And with a with a healthy sprinkling of whatever Nintendo wants to feed me on top. The way you put it like that, you almost make it sound like it's a several-course meal. 
isn't it though? Is it like it's like like the way you basically described it? The Nintendo stuff is just sort of like gourmet sort of type stuff, <laughs> and then some of the visual novel stuff, especially the H stuff, is basically a McDonald's or KFC. Or think of it like a cake, right? Like the H stuff's going to be like the cream layer in the middle of the two cakes, and then the cakes are going to be your JRPGs, and then the icing and the sprinkles and the strawberries on top is whatever Nintendo wants to give me, I will eat it. It's lovely. Who doesn't eat the icing? <laughs> I mean, fair. It's, that's a very comparison to make. Yeah. I'm not one to sit there. Like, I have a very competitive spirit, but... I don't like to take video games seriously or any game really. Even the people who are like really into football get very upset when their team loses. Like there's so much to be upset about in life that I'm not going to let my fantasy escapism upset me unless it's like a sad story and I'm there to feel upset or to cry as like an outlet. So I'm not going mm. to get super upset. Like if my team loses in Overwatch, I go Right, well start Bummer. again. <laughs> oh shucks. We lost. Oh, well. That's why there's 45 on. seconds in between matches. You just try again. <laughs> it's it's better than just basically throwing the TV into another TV. Yeah, yeah. I can't stand that. Although there is an exception. Um, I do get very involved and very upset with Mario Party. I, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. You can't see this. Well, uh, um, I don't know if uh, uh, Alana can see this, but you, you listening to this definitely can't see this. Brooklyn Nine Nine is playing on the TV behind me, <laughs> and Jake is so fucking pissed off in one or two of the seasons at Mario Party and Waluigi. <laughs> <laughs> I goes like, God damn it! Well, he's trying to beat a Waluigi level or something. I don't know. <laughs> Relatable. <laughs> so. I think the just we're trying to get to is there should be a ninth season of Brooklyn Nine Nine where just basically Jake just tries to beat Waluigi in Mario Party. <laughs> that's the next after Sora. That's who they'll announce next. Jake from Brooklyn Nine Nine for Smash. <laughs> <laughs> they'll never announce Waluigi for Smash Bros. They'll announce Jake yeah. from Brooklyn Nine Nine. Oh yeah, for did you Smash. notice that? I put Jake in there, not Waluigi. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a conspiracy. We've never seen them both in the same room. Ooh, that is a conspiracy. Hmm. <laughs> you mentioned you love um, JRPGs as well. Like, what specific JRPGs? Oh, goodness. Off the top of my head, I wouldn't be able to pick one. Um, I know it's a very simple game, but Eternal Sonata, is that considered a JRPG? I'd say so. Yeah. I loved that game. And I've played Nino Kuni like the first one, a whole bunch of times. I love the um, the underlining plot of Nino Kuni, like the collecting the hearts and becoming a whole person and you have the kindness and all the different aspects of the heart. Like, oh, well, she would be a whole person, but she's missing this piece of heart, the piece of heart. It's not just like a piece of heart, like a HP thing. It's like a piece of heart. Her kindness is missing or her patience is missing or resilience, I think, was one of them or something like that where perseverance. And I liked how they put um, more like uh, strong emotions in there as well as opposed to just fluffy like, oh, her kindness is missing. I I love that game for the underlining story arc of grief and you need every bit of it to be a whole person because I don't like when people sugarcoat life (laughs) when i don't like being in discords for example that are just like positive vibes only 
um, it, it, life's not all positive vibes. So if I'm going to be authentic, I'm not going to stand there and just load my grief and trauma onto you. That's not fair either. But also, if I'm not happy that day, it's very upsetting for me to have to just put on a smile. And so I'm not going to do that. I like Nino Cooney for like kind of agreeing with that philosophy. <laughs> he was allowed to be sad. His mama just died. I still need to play uh, a good chunk. Well, no, I, I've played a good chunk of Nino Cooney mm. one. I've just, I just need to play a bit more of Nino Cooney too. But like, um, I think that was actually partly why I bought him the Nino Cooney one anyway. Like besides the Studio Ghibli involvement, mm-hmm. level five and stuff like that. There, it's just like there's very few games that tell grief in such a raw way anyway Mm. and in a way that it's kind of like what i try to do with my toad house games in a way that is not triggering to the people currently experiencing it so that people who are currently experiencing grief can be comforted by it and be feel seen by it as opposed to like i say this all the time i think we've had many conversations about it how a lot of games that touch upon mental illness and mental health are triggering for those with mental illness and mental health issues and so they can't play those games and the market for them and the audience for them are people without the mental illness and i that's fine for them but i don't want to do that and i feel like nino kuni falls more into the trend of what i'm trying to do with my games where even if you're going through grief especially if you're going through grief you can play a game like nino kuni and feel seen and eternal snot has also got a bit of a somber note to it as well but it's just i like the fighting i know it's controversial because most people hate the fighting in eternal sonata but i liked the fighting with the i think if i remember correctly in the shadows and in the light you have different moves and i don't know i thought it was nifty i still need to play eternal sonata even though i've heard so much love about that game and it just feels so up my alley in regards to jrpgs i still need to play it though i still need to play it. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's is it bc on the xbox consoles if it's bc on the xbox console i'm hoping eternal sonata i know is on the 360 but i don't know what other i know consoles. it's i know it's I know it's on Xbox 360. I'm just trying to figure out if it's backwards compatible with mm. Xbox One or Xbox Series X and S. Uh, oh, Hideo Baba was the producer. He was <laughs> one of the key figures behind uh, the Tales of franchise in the, pa- in the past decade. Huh. Um, da, 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 the reception. I don't, I don't know if it is. We'll double check this after we're done here. Mm. And then I will play Eternal Sonata. Oh, it's, it's a great it's a little game. Although for Nino Kuni, I have to say, the first one is a gem. Um, I was so excited and so let down by the second one. I don't recommend the second one. Oh. Yeah. Although, to be fair, I've not touched uh, two yet. I've not. I've, I, did I get rid of? I think I did get rid of two. Yeah. Um, uh, you're not missing out on anything, in my opinion. Fair. Fair. I mean, I think it, I think it's probably because Studio Ghibli isn't involved. You'd think that, but it's not even the arts. Well, maybe because it is. It's not even grittiness because I like grittiness. I don't know. One day I'll I'll pin down why I was so disappointed by it, and we'll we'll chat for the next time. <laughs> so how I got into the gaming industry is I was a voice actor. Well, I was an actor from like age, professionally from like age 12 before then as well. But from age 12, I started getting paid and onward. And as I got older, especially being in New York, it was easier for me to get voice acting gigs uh, to pay the bills than it was for, you know, theater is a lot more hours and you do a bit of everything, but voice acting was my bread and butter. Um, And then I... Long story short, got into a car accident where I had to do a lot of thinking because I was stuck on a couch for three months. And um, I realized that I was acting out of habit 
that I didn't necessarily enjoy it anymore. It's just what I've always done, what I've always known. Um, and is this what I want to be doing? Because I found myself like, instead of being excited to go into an audition, and this is my audition day, I'm so excited, I would like drag my feet or I found that I was like showing up to the train two minutes late and going, oh, shucks, I missed the train. I noticed these habits that were, you know, so then you key in, you go, why am I doing this? And I realized I didn't like it anymore. So I thought, well, I love video games. I understand video games. I've been analyzing video games my whole life because I wasn't allowed to play them. I just sit in the couch and watch everyone else play them. So I understand them. Let me have a go at making them. Um, so I traded my acting talents for, uh, bit, bit, bit parts and, and, uh, tasks in the game industry. So I'll voice act this for free for you if you let me QA it and teach me how to do it or I'll, you know, indie stuff where you beg and barter. Um, and then while I was doing this, one of the people I was doing this with, he goes by the Meatly. Um, so I traded some voice acting for some QA and character development and that type of, you know, game development side of things. And we made Bendy the Ink Machine. And then that was a year and a half's, uh, crash course into the game industry and how everything works. Um, and then, as you know, it got picked up by Rooster Teeth for console. So that was, I was in Austin at the time, so it was Rooster Teeth. So I got to see a lot of Rooster Teeth and how they do things. And after just this master course in the game industry, I saw a lot of good and I saw a lot of bad. And I decided, you know what, I learned a lot and I could do this, in my opinion, um, better. <laughs> so I made my own studio <laughs> and we are no crunch. Uh, we, I do my best to, even though I don't have much funding, uh, it, well, I have no funding. I'm self-funded. I have a day job, but I try to pay people um, fairly even to the point that when they come to me and I think a figure is too low, I go, right, well, you quoted me this, but I'm actually going to pay you this, which is more because um, this is what a standard is and you're you're at least worth standard. You know, like you have to at least pay yourself industry standard. So um, I do my best to guide people, especially who are new in the industry, so they have a better experience than I did. <laughs> um and that's how I got my studio. And then as for my game, Call Me Sarah, Sarah C-E-R-A, is the um, main game that's coming out next year. Um, and it's basically a semi-autobiographical story of my time in Austin and moving to a new place and starting over. Um, I was in a really low point in 2015, 2016, like utterly low. Um, funny enough, that's also 2016's when Bendy took off, (laughs) although that's not really reflected in the game. Um, so I made a visual novel about it and I'm still working on it. It's still in production, but part of that universe are, we also have vignettes. So we had two vignettes released. One was Roll for Confidence, which released a month ago, um, or at least a month ago from, you know, today. And then... Uh, Good Looking Home Cooking, which released earlier this year. And those both take place in the Call Me Sorry universe just a year prior. And we did that basically so I could show people what I can do since it's my studio and it's our first for us um, so that they can trust us with these heavy topics. So I can say, hey, look, um, there's self-harm in Good Looking Home Cooking. There's trans rights spoken about in 
role for confidence. I can handle these issues. They're not going to be triggering to you. We handle them with care. We play test. We have cultural consultants. You can trust me as a studio. So when Call Me Sarah, which is a behemoth of a game, comes out, you can trust me that the by playing the vignettes, which are only an hour long, um, you know that it will be a quality, like, I don't know how long Call Me Sarah will be, but let's say eight hours, right? Like a quality eight hours, and you can trust that your money is going to be well spent, your time is going to be well spent, and I think that's important. So that's kind of how I set it up. But it was a very messy, windy road, but that's kind of how I got here. Uh, the, the long and winding road, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't your traditional go to a game dev school, get hired by a triple A, make the apple in Fable, and call yourself a game dev. <laughs> route that a lot of people take. That sounds snarky. I didn't mean it snarky. I'm just, <laughs> it came out snarky. I don't mean that snarky. That's a perfectly noble way to do it. In fact, it's probably... Um, maybe even a better way to do it than how I did it. Right, so let's touch upon your favorite game, which is Pikmin 3. And um, so for the sake of full disclosure, I have I've played Pikmin 3, but it's also the only Pikmin game that I've played. Um, I do have Pikmin 3 Deluxe still waiting in my sorry looking backlog that is <laughs> growing further and further by the day, even with games that I don't currently own right now. Please let me play Life is Stretching Colors. <laughs> I want to play it. Um, um, so talk to me first getting into uh, Pikmin itself. Like, did you play one two? Yes. Uh, what were they like? Um, there's a lot of Easter eggs in Pikmin 3 from 1 and 2. Um, it's all the same premise. You crash land on a planet. One was really cool because, spoilers, um, you didn't realize it was planet Earth until, like, later in the game so it seemed like an alien thing um, you, i'm so sorry <laughs> you know that's a planet of the apes reference <laughs> oh you're right at the end oh, i forgot i haven't seen planet of the apes in forever i thought i spoiled the game for you <laughs> oh. <laughs> you're right you're right yeah um pnf 404 is is planet earth and in fact, that's what I list on my Twitter bio where I'm from, because I think that's accurate. Um, and anytime I try to make that reference, more often than not, people don't understand what I'm saying when I say I'm from PNF4 and 4, but uh, I don't care. I'm going to keep on saying it. <laughs> um, but yeah, you crash land on a planet. Um, the first one, second one, I forget the details, but basically uh, your planet, either for their economy or for their fuel, uses trash. So you collect bottle caps and such. And in Pikmin 3, you're from a different planet where when you crash land on PNF 404, uh, you're looking for, well, you, 
you're not you weren't meant to crash land on this planet you were traveling and then something went terribly wrong and then you crash landed um but you're looking for fruit because that's i think a food source for your people if i remember correctly but you can also use it as fuel it's like a dual a dual like fuel for creatures plus fuel for your rocket ship situation i think um but the premise is more or less there's these little creatures called pikmin on the planet that you find and they're very endearing so you want to protect them from the monsters that gobble them up and it's very sad when you don't and they die they go and they disappear into little ghosts and you feel guilty i've restarted entire games simply because i lost one pikmin like i play this game for efficiency so no mistakes are allowed um the only exception being white pikmin because white pikmin are kind of intended to be eaten because they're poisonous so the larger monsters you can throw white pikmin and they'll be eaten and then it will help you defeat the larger monsters so it's very sad but that's their purpose i guess or at least in our terrible savage eyes coming to their planet (laughs) sacrificing them Yeah, you collect either bottle caps in the first game or fruit in the third game. The second game, I forgot what you collect. One of the two. Um, And you collect it to bring back to your planet in order to help your people. Like, before Pikmin 3 itself, like, can you remember, like, sort of your exact memories playing both those games on the GameCube and Yeah, um, I borrowed a friend's copy of Pikmin. I never owned the original Pikmin. So it was on my brother's Mm. GameCube. Um, I was maybe like 15 or so. And it's how I would de-stress from school. I would sit at, I had it set up so that at our computer desk, it's one one of those like L desks. So the computer was to the left and on Mm. the right would be, we had like a 12 inch little TV thing one of those big chunky glass looking things and uh the gamecube console so while my homework would be i don't know whether i was taking breaks with homework or typing something or maybe something was loading because the internet back then who knows but i'd be working on my homework and then i'd turn around and i'd do a bit of pikmin and homework then pikmin homework then pikmin that's kind of how i'd play it that that sort of rotation Mm. (laughs) no fair enough um I actually just realized, I'm looking up the game's Wikipedia page now, or at least for the original Pikmin. Like, Pikmin 3 came out 20 years ago this month, and it's, tw- it's Pikmin's 20th anniversary as we're recording this. Is it? And you don't mean Pikmin 3, right? You mean Pikmin 1. No, Pikmin 1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Happy 20th anniversary. That doesn't make me feel old at all. And I just <sighs> gave my age of what I was playing with it. So that's cute. That's really cute. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. No, you're grand. Um, 20 years. Like, that's a whole human. That's a whole adult. That's a whole ass adult that can basically drink at this point. Drink and well, join not, the not, army. Not, and... not unless you're in the U.S. You've got about at least another year. Yeah, uh, no one follows that rule here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Pikmin 3 itself. Um, I remember so be- being so enamored by it because it, it, it was my first. Pikmin game. Mm. I never got a chance to play Pikmin 1 and 2. Mm. Um, Pikmin 3 was my first one and I played it on the Wii U. Um, remember the Wii U? Remember that was a thing? <laughs> yes. Pepperidge Farm remembers. <laughs> Pepperidge Farm remembers how bad it sounded. 
Oh God, I really sounded Irish there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, trying to get back into actual English. Um, what I what I love about it is that it's so very endearing and charming. Yeah. Why, why why do you think makes that so? Why do you think that makes it stand out? Anyway, I think some of the best games were created by people who are living their life and letting their imaginations roam a bit and then having the thought oh that this would make a great game and Pikmin was kind of born of that so Miyamoto came up with this game working in his garden and he'd look around his garden and then he came up with the Pikmin idea after a bit um I think any game that comes from a real life experience because it's usually something that the person creating it loves is a charming lovely game like pokemon was made the same way um zelda was made the same way anytime it comes from real life it's just going to be in my opinion a better game um Mm. i think the pikmin themselves are just super cute even the monsters are super cute they can be rather scary but super cute um i mean pikmin's been doing cottagecore before cottagecore was a thing (laughs) it's just it's I think everyone has a little bit of a fantasy, or at least everyone of my generation has a bit of a fantasy of running away and living in the forest (laughs) and just being one with nature and getting away from computers. (laughs) And if you combine that with the just the efficiency and time management skills needed for Pikmin, I mean, you can play it sloppy if you want to, but why would you? (laughs) I think it just has a charm because of the juxtaposition of it. I think that's actually a good way to sort of looking at it. it the, the charm comes from it, such a massive just juxtaposition. Mm. Like, why, why do you think that is? Like, what do you think is that sort of juxtaposition? I think life itself is stressful. And stress can be a good thing. Stress can be rather motivating. It's just often life is too stressful. And so then it's no longer motivating. It's traumatizing. Um, and I think games like Pikmin that put you in this calming, quaint, sweet environment. Even though you you and the game are an alien and it's meant to be like this weird, sort of scary, spooky environment, but it's done in such a way like you yourself know you're safe, you know. Again, that it's a Nintendo game made for seven year olds. I am safe playing this game motto. Um and combine that with I guess it's what you're talking about with Ninu Kuni. Like, the Pikmin proper die. And they have a little screaming noise and everything. The monsters are kind of ruthless. Sort of like a Wilhelm scream in itself. <laughs> like a very cute one, but yeah. I think just, um, if it was... If it leaned out of that, if it, if it was too cutesy, if the Pikmin didn't actually die, but they fainted, like in Pokemon, or if they... If they, um... I don't know if it was something less permanent or something less upsetting because it is very upsetting when they when the Pikmin get eaten. Um, it wouldn't be nearly as charming. I think the charm comes from the calm and cute with the very real uh, threat and the monsters and, you know, the it's life. Really, and I think people can recognize that whether or not they're aware of it while they're playing a game, they see it in themselves and they can recognize it. Or maybe I'm thinking too much into it. Who knows? But it's fun too, anyway. 
I know it's always good to sort of analyze these things about our favorite games mm. for, for, for good and bad. It, sh- it should be worth stressing. Um, what I love, what you mentioned to me earlier about Pikmin 3 is how you love it basically for how it handles time management and stuff like that there. Like, talk to me a little bit about that and the sort of efficiency that an agency that sort of gives you. Yeah. Um, I feel like in real life, uh, you don't have control over the chaos quite often. And I love games about time management, whether it's Pikmin 3 or Diner Dash. I was a waitress, but like I told you, just the money wasn't good enough. Otherwise, I was quite happy being a waitress, to be honest. The two things that turned me away from it was the money wasn't enough and just the sheer abuse from people. But like the actual job itself, I loved it. I loved having my section with my tables. I There's an art to being a good waitress. And... I liked, I had this game in my head when I would play, like, right, well, they were just at, so I have two minutes to go greet them, and then I've got four minutes after that to get their drinks, and then their meals need to be in the next eight minutes, and if they told me, like, oh, we need more time to look over the menu, of course, I wouldn't push it, I was, I was a very good waitress, so I'd, that was like a plus two minute multiplier, but that's from them, not from me, you know, and then I'd grade myself, and I'd give myself little points each shift to try to beat my previous score, of um Hmm. how i did and so just making that game in real life pikmin diner dash those types of games they they itch something in my brain that i just love it's this efficiency just this utter to the fraction of a second efficiency that i can mess with and like i said i don't even stream pikmin like i'm very good at pikmin 3 it's probably one of the games i'm best at and i'm sure that if I were to stream it, people would find it entertaining because I am very, very good at it. But I would ignore chat. I would just be like head in the game. I get annoyed. So like I'll, I'll be concentrating so hard. I'll be a half a second off because the blue Pikmin decided to go around the log to the left instead of the right. And then it messed up the whole thing. I will just bail and restart it right there. I don't care that I sunk 20 minutes into that scene. The blue Pikmin messed it up. We're going to try it again. And I would spend hours just perfecting this microsecond time management, um, resource management, putting these there and then we go there. I love it. You know what? (laughs) Now that I'm thinking about it and saying it out loud, it's not that different from Dark Souls. Because in Dark Souls when I play, listen, hear me out. In Dark Souls when I play, I do the same thing. Like there's that scene in the beginning where you're on the bridge and they, the monsters always come at you at the same way. So if you can perfect like the, okay, so he's going to come from the left. So I'm going to attack him, then go here, then go there, then parry him and then there, there, and then go there, then go there. Like if you have a routine down to Dark Souls and you can perfect exactly when each monster comes at you and et cetera in like a, a section... It's not mm. that much different than how I play Pikmin 3. Because <laughs> it's very much like, right, well, I have to get that seed. And this Pikmin runs at this speed. And this one's the heavier one, but they're slower. And then the, the, the white ones move faster. And the fairy ones can fly this over. But then we have to do the web before we get there. So we need the red ones to get the web. And then, like, it's that, that same proficient efficiency and attention to detail and then just all right messed up do it again right messed up do it again especially the mission modes which are my favorite in pikmin 3 not that much different from how i play dark souls <laughs> i get the sense that when you play games like pikmin 3 or or dark souls there's this sort of hyper focus yes 
Like everything is sort of tuned out. Yes. Like uh, responsibilities. No, couldn't give two nope. shits. Uh, anybody trying to call me? No, couldn't give two shits. <laughs> Partner? No, sorry. You're the equation. Couldn't give two shits. Yep. I am hyper focused on getting this done, getting through this, get, uh, getting that done. And perfectly. Week. Perfectly. Yes. Perfectly. Because yes. there's this pressure. No, no. I don't know if I'd say pressure because that feels intimidating. But there's this expectation mm. to get everything done perfectly. Yes. And then when you do it, you do it again. You try to do it even more perfectly. <laughs> Does that, in a way, sort of um, uh, sort of hinder how you perceive games like Pikmin or even Dark Souls or any other game that sort of provide that hyper-focus? Hinder? How do you mean? Maybe hinder is not the best way to describe it, but like, uh, like it's sort of... What's, what's, hmm, what would be the best way to describe it? Maybe not necessarily hinder, but I think because you have such that hyper-focus on it, mm. it can be, if not distracting, then it can be, it can maybe sort of slightly change how you view these games from being so, somewhat uh, relaxing and sort oh, of... Oh, I don't play these games to relax. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I play these games because my oh, life's Dark a Souls mess. Actually, like Dark Souls, I get is not a relaxing game. But neither but, is Pikmin. I, it's stressful, but it's good stress. Like when your life is so chaotic and stressful and you can go and lock yourself in this world of a game and have controlled chaos and controlled stress that you then, honestly, if it gets too much, you can just press the power button and it's poof, gone and it doesn't actually matter. It's great. It's cathartic. Because when you're real life, like you can't just press a button and have your real life stress poof into disappearance. But if I... God, if only. Right, if only. But if I'm playing Pikmin 3 or whatever game and it, I'm just not doing it that day for whatever reason, it's just off and I'm getting even more frustrated and it's no longer cathartic. Well, sure, press the power button and it's like it never happened, except I'm missing four hours of my life. <laughs> but then you're missing four hours of your life. There are worse ways to spend four hours. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Like, if you think about coping mechanisms, right? Like, I used to be addicted to drugs. So I would love that drugs made me feel normal because I have bipolar disorder. So I used drugs not only to pass the time, but also because when I, at least I could blame the drug when I was high because then it was like, well, I'm like this because this. But when I was sober and I was a certain way and I, I didn't know at the time I had bipolar disorder, but I just knew that I was strange and I was off. It felt upsetting that I was so different from everyone else and that I was so weird so I would use them to just waste away hours of my life so that I didn't have to feel and so that I could blame something else and be like no I'm like this I'm actually normal but this is what's making me here but with video games as a coping mechanism at least you're not physically harming yourself for the most part you can be addicted to anything you can also be addicted to video games I do want to put that disclaimer in there but to spend four hours hyper focused on perfecting a Pikmin routine and then at the end of the day be able to turn the power button off and then feel accomplished even if it's just within a game and you didn't actually accomplish something I mean life is really hard if that makes you feel good I'll take that mm. over what I used to use any day of the week <laughs> totally fair that's, that's, that's a good argument right? that's a very good argument 
Um, and yeah, like you mentioned that sort of hyper focus as well with Pikmin 3. Like, what other games do you think do it as well besides Pikmin 3 and Dark Souls? Let's see. Um, games that hyper focus. Usually, well, I kind of get like that with Sims as well. I'm thinking for me, it's the games that would be horrible if I streamed them. Because then if I, if I know I play a game and I'd be ignoring chat, that usually means I'm hyper-focused in it. So for Sims, um, I'm so focused. Again, it's the time management thing. Like so-and-so needs to be in work in two hours. And I need to up their confidence level so they get the promotion and the like little fine mechanics of it. I get so involved that I couldn't. It would be annoying to me to give attention to anything else and it would take the fun out from me. So I wouldn't stream that game. Same with Pikmin. Dark Souls I streamed for a bit, but I didn't care if I was bad at Dark Souls until I realized it was just like the over and over again. But if you watch my old streams when I was playing Dark Souls, once that clicked in my mind, like, oh, this is a routine that I need to perfect, I ignore chat for the next two hours. I'm sitting there in silence, just like eyes to the screen until I realize what I'm doing. I'm like, oh, sorry. Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for the bits. Like, I... That's <laughs> why so I don't stream that much. Because when I'm enjoying a game, nothing else exists. It's like enjoying a good book. Nothing else exists. So if I can get in that flow state, whether it's a book or a game, those are always going to be my favorite. Life's really hard. Escapism is great. <laughs> I think that's actually a better way to describe it Like uh, than hyper-focus. Like you're just sort of in the flow, like you're in a flow state. Mm. That's, that's a better way of describing it, I think. Yeah. I love it. And and it does really annoy me when someone pops me out of it. I get like this when I'm game devving too, especially when I'm writing. I code um, the basic bits of code, like who's talking and where they're on the screen as I'm writing the dialogue, simply because it's just so entwined. Um, it's easier. And I'll like get a flow and I'll be have these characters living in my head and I'll have Jessica saying this and Sarah saying that and just going back and forth. And I'm sitting there like I'm a friend so I'm just watching them play in my head and me just typing down like I'm, a, I'm transcribing what they're saying and that's it and I'm enjoying the conversation and that's when I know it's going to be a good game and I get very irritable when I'm interrupted when I'm in that state because I'm watching my friends play in my head and making a game out of it and if someone if a loud boom happens outside or if someone needs my attention or something I get downright like I'm not my best self in those moments I get irritable again why I don't stream because I don't need that on camera <laughs> I love that you mentioned how you sort of get lost in making your own worlds. I found this TikTok the other day and I just sort of need to play it for yeah. you. Like, like, like it's this basically. Forget the Lady Gaga stuff. Great, good to know. Okay, now that we've settled that, I'm just going to take a quick roll call here. So how many of us grew up to be maladaptive daydreamers that have several movie-like plot lines going on in our head at one time, can't listen to music without adding it to our mental soundtrack for these plot lines, and are just overall incapable of existing inside our given reality, because what's going on in our head is just so much more interesting. <laughs> I did not come on this podcast to be called out like such, Johnny. <laughs> Hey, it called me out as well. <laughs> called me the fuck out as well. You have to be careful with those TikTok things, though, because I find on TikTok, maybe not for that one, but they, a lot of TikTok tends to, like, make symptoms out of absolutely everything. Like, sometimes I'll be watching it. They're like, oh, it's this symptom of this. It's like, goodness, no, you're just a human. <laughs> like, I'll, to give, to basically give context, I'm just going to go back to it. Like, um... 
basically says uh, it's just a stitch basically it says when I learned the excessive reading as child as a child is considered disassociative behavior and then that's where the audio comes from then after that as a stitch it's just like <laughs> oh good god no I guess that goes it's back to the pattern. coping mechanisms right because like reading is escapism is a coping mechanism but it's not that bad of one it's a great coping mechanism it's wonderful have at it it's better than drugs <laughs> So don't feel bad about it is what I'm trying to say. Like, it might be true, but don't feel bad about it. You have an active imagination. Some people would pay big money to have the same. But I feel like having such an active imagination at this stage in my life. At what stage? I, at what stage? Like, 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 like being 30 or something. Oh, know. your age. Like, like your literal age is in lo- how long yes. you've existed on this planet. So only children are allowed to have active imaginations. You don't become a human. You hit 30 and you're no longer human. You're allowed to daydream. Yeah. Ah, yeah, I see. Yeah, okay, I just wanted to make sauce. sure. <laughs> 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 there are people who watch movies and play games and read books and have to use other people's imaginations to escape. And you're so lucky that you can just close your eyes and do it without all that. It's not a bad thing, friend. I don't know why I've had that sort of thought installed in my head as, as in to say, I, feel, I should feel guilty for this. I should stop feeling Because you're Catholic. Very... <laughs> More than likely, yes. <laughs> well, I don't know if you are, I'm assuming. But that's no, what... I am. Oh, no, I am. No, I am. No, I am. Um, I think at this point, before all of these sort of issues, we can just blame the Catholic Church anyway. So... <laughs> For a lot, alongside a lot more serious things, but we can just add those things to the list yeah. as well, basically, at this point. <laughs> um, back to Pikmin. Mm. Um, because we digress, we digress a lot, as we do on the show because <laughs> of me. Um, what well, something that I think stands out for me about Pikmin is that it does, despite that sort of time management aspect, despite the sort of efficiency and agency it sort of provides, and despite what you say about it, being controlled chaos mm. it is still uh, although it is very much a strategy survival game mm. which is where the sort of time management the agency of the, the efficiency and the agency and that sort of controlled chaos that you've mentioned come from it is still very much a wholesome game yeah well so are mine mine go on about self-care or self-harm and depression and anxiety and all sorts of really heavy things and yet they're wholesome games like how how difficult is it, is it to sort of make a game like with Pikmin Free sort of uh, with those sort of themes in mind? Like because like obviously you're just basically still surviving, cute but also <laughs> alien monsters that are trying to chomp your Pikmin friends. Basically, I think it's accepting that two things can be true at the same time. Like, mm. it can look cute and be sweet and be in a garden, be idyllic, and also be scary and terrifying and difficult and stressful. And those two things can be true at the same time. Hmm. Um, like, talk to me then about some of the puzzle puzzles in the game, some of the puzzle design, and, like, like, like how do you get on with those? Um, So when I play, I beat the campaign, um, Mm. and then I mostly, once the campaign's beaten, I play mission modes. So mission modes is legitimately just perfecting your time on how fast you can get all the fruit and all the enemies back to your little spaceship pod to absorb them and take the fuel. Um, And that's knowing 
how fast each Pikmin goes, knowing they're special. Like, for example, blue Pikmin uh, can swim. Meanwhile, red Pikmin would drown, that type of situation. Red Pikmin um, aren't harmed by fire, but yellow Pikmin would be. Yellow Pikmin are needed to conduct electricity, so you need to open certain gates. And it's looking at the entire map and seeing not only where you need to go, but what obstacles are in your way and what you need to do first. So it's kind of the same mental process as waitressing. Like if someone orders a soup, you need to put a spoon on their table before you put down the soup because they need the spoon to eat it, right? So it's that type of a thing, prioritizing what needs to happen first, what can wait until the end, what you need to continuously be working on because there's some missions where it's such a big like fruit or a big enemy or something that you need to, at the beginning of the game, dedicate a portion of your Pikmin over to that enemy or that area just to deal with that. Um, And then every so often check in on them, but mostly be doing everything and have those be done in tandem. And it does get frustrating sometimes because the Pikmin don't always listen to everything you do. So like if there's a log, they might get confused and then you go back to your Pikmin and you think all the grapes will be gone and they're just literally dancing in a circle like little demons and you scream and yell at them and then you start over. (laughs) Or (laughs) like you didn't notice the spider web and now all your little fairy Pikmin have been eaten by the stupid spider. And none of the coins have been brought back. And you thought you were on this lovely, perfect time. Like you you thought this would perfect everything, but you forgot about this one element. And now the whole thing's thrown into chaos. Um, it, it's about prioritizing um, time management, prioritizing tasks, time management, and knowing your resources. Kind of actually like producing a game. <laughs> kind of like game producer, right? <laughs> Or any producer, really. I feel, I feel like waitressing has sort of helped you in two regards and just produ- being a producer and then playing games like Pikmin. Mm, I think so. I've been a waitress since I was 15 years old. So, and I've only stopped being a waitress in the last two years, like right before COVID hit. Um, so, like, I used to, I look very young, but I would go into job interviews and they'd be like, right, do you have an experience? And my claim to fame would be like, yeah, I've been a waitress for over a decade. And that would be they're like, great, you're hired. Like, <laughs> oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm first do you want a glass of water? What's terrible is two things. If the people, if the tipping system in America were different that it would be much better because in America, Mm. waitresses, your whole paycheck is tips. You don't actually get paid. Um, So if a table doesn't tip you, like if you have a rush like like table and they just decide not to tip you, which absolutely happens, you did not get paid for that hour of work. You worked for free and that should be illegal in my opinion. But the other thing is just people get hangry, right? You're like front row and center for feeding time at the zoo and people aren't their best selves when they're hangry. And they usually go to restaurants when they're so hangry they won't cook for themselves. So the amount of abuse that servers, even I was a white glove server. Like I worked at really nice restaurants. But even the amount of abuse that you have to endure as a service industry person. If it were not for those two things, I would be quite happy doing game dev and on the weekends being a waitress at a nice restaurant or a cafe for the rest of my life. I genuinely enjoy that job. Hmm. Um, so we've had a few Zelda episodes on the show. Mm. We've had um, Wind Waker, Link to the Past, 
Majora's Mask, and we even had an Ocarina of Time episode recorded that has now basically gone to the winds of time, basically, <laughs> it's basically been lost, basically. So if anyone wants to come on for the next season of My Favourite Game and talk about <laughs> Ocarina of Time, please, by all means, do. But um, I, I mentioned that because we've talked of all these Zelda games, yet oddly enough, we've not had a Mario episode yet. Um, and considering we've had those Zelda episodes and now we're talking about Pikmin, I think it's a good time to sort of discuss Shigeru Miyamoto as a developer mm. um, because we've because uh, we've never really sort of had this sort of conversation, at least in depth. Um, like, like you say, he, he basically came up with the idea of Pikmin in his garden. Yeah. And he... Only Miyamoto, only Shigeru Miyamoto can be... How, how do I sort of word this? Only Shigeru Miyamoto can uh, be that sort of developer and be able to sell game design ideas like... You're stuck on a planet. There's these little creatures that come out and help you and all that there. And it goes on to sell, what, two, three million copies, basically. <laughs> Only Shigeru Miyamoto can do that. Only Shigeru Miyamoto can do that. What, why, why do you think that is? I think trust was built around him in the early days of his career. And so he was given the space and resources to be able to do such things, as well as, obviously, his skill and and... Uh, being able to analyze what makes a game fun, and he's always going back to what makes a game fun. So I think it's a combo of him just being really good at his job, but also there probably is other people who are also very good at their jobs, but they're not Miyamoto simply because, you know, they didn't save... It was Miyamoto that changed it into Donkey Kong, right? The Popeye thing? The Popeye arcade? Are you familiar? I somewhat rings a bell. So um, back in the arcade cabinet days, there... Uh, I'm fuzzy on the details, but basically they made a Popeye game, like Popeye the Sailor Man, Mm. Um, and then they lost the rights to that IP, but they already had the game in the cabinets and they were ready to ship, and so they needed something to basically just like a new skin (laughs) to go over it so they wouldn't lose all that resources because arcade cabinets, you know, they're expensive to make and they make a lot of money, you need to recoup the costs. And I think it was Miyamoto that created Donkey Kong because Donkey Kong went over, um, what's the bad guy from Popeye? And then Mario was Jumpman, and that was basically Popeye. And then uh, Olive Oil is, well, became Princess Peach back then. She was, she was Princess Toadstool in N64. What was she called back then? Paula? I forget. Um, but he, you know... Because he's so skilled at what he does, he was able to be very resourceful and come up with this new storyline. At least I think it was. And if that wasn't him, then he he was there in those early days when they had to do something similar. And when you're honing your skills, um, it's kind of like the voice actors that were in the early days of 90s uh, Nickelodeon. They were allowed to experiment and improv in... Uh, Rocco's Martin Life and Ren and Stimpy and kind of like just mess around and when you're given the freedom to mess around later in their career they became the voice actors for Spongebob and these very um, lauded and, and, and amazing voice actors and voice directors but I think it's because early in their career they were given the space and resources to experiment expand their skill set and have fun 
as opposed to worrying about the um the survival of joining <laughs> a job if that makes sense like if you're coming from a scarcity mindset it's very difficult to uh, give chances you have less risk coins if you will as opposed to if you're given more space then you have more risk coins it's kind of like the difference between people who come from wealth versus people who don't people who come from wealth if they get into a car accident that five thousand dollars to replace their car or whatever it is isn't going to completely mess them up or that medical bill is not going to completely mess them up or even just a career change is not going to completely mess them up they're okay meanwhile a $50 speeding ticket to a person on the other side of the coin could mean they don't eat that week. And it's very difficult to be creative if you're not eating. So I think he's a genius at what he does. He's very good uh, at analyzing video games. He's got a great imagination, all the things that make a fine developer. And he was given the space and resources in order to use those skills in a, in a very productive way that enabled him to build the trust around him so that later on in the future, in 30 years time, 20 years time later, he could say, hey, I was working in my garden and I have this idea. What if you're a little alien creature and you crash land in a garden and you have to use bottle caps as fuel? Go. You know what I mean? So that's my two cents. You can see this, but, but, but I'm just basically nodding my head at what Alana's saying, basically. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I think it's the fact that Miyamoto's work as well has been so varied. So, 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 so varied as well. Like, there's such a broad catalog of work of stuff that he's basically made. Like, like 3D platformers, Mario, uh, RP, like, Long epic RPGs, Legend of Zelda. Although that's probably a stretch of a definition for Zelda, because it's more of an action adventure game than anything else. But I'm more thinking along the lines of Breath of the Wild in a sense in regards to that series. But anyway, um, Pikmin Three. It's just basically um, like like you say, it's the sort of offshoot idea of your small alien lands in a garden, just sort of. You, you meet these sort of little creatures that basically do these tasks that are basically suited to it and depending on what color they are. And then you got also other games as well, like the likes of um, Star Fox and, well, like, what else? Star Nintendo. Yeah, Nintendo mostly Nintendo. As well. But if you think Nintendo about it. literally just you looking after your own virtual dog. <laughs> If you if you think about it though, like you know how in the game industry we say ideas are a dime a dozen. Like no one needs an ideas guy. His ideas are brilliant, sure, but like anyone can come up with ideas like that. It's that he's able to follow through with those ideas, because anyone can mm. sit there in a big comfy chair and be like, take care of virtual dogs, or land in a garden, or you're a, a little boy lost in the woods and you go on this epic adventure, or whatever the story is, right? But he's able to take those ideas and push them through to fruition. And that's kind of what puts him head and shoulders above most people. So, uh, Pikmin 4. <laughs> Where the fuck is it, Nintendo? <laughs> I was told last, as I say, I was told last as if, like, I've got Miyamoto on speed dial. <laughs> Mia told me. <laughs> um, Fucking phone, tell him where it is. March 
of this year, they said it was still in production. And we love a no crunch situation. So we're just going to have to be patient. But oh boy, am I excited. I want my Pikmin 4 Nintendo. Yeah, me too. Where is it? Until then, I'll just. I'm not going to install crunch. I'm not going to sort of encourage crunch and all that there. But like, sell. I'm an impatient person. Patient person here. Drink water, rest, but also, can I have my game, please? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just wait. Just, just ballpark it for me. <laughs> what, well, what would be your sort of hopes for Pikmin Four anyway? That it's exactly like Pikmin Three. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just want more. Perfect. I want exactly that, but more. I want more puzzles. <laughs> That's just perfect. I think that's just sort of the perfect way to describe it. <laughs> they don't need to change anything. I don't need anything else. It's how I feel about the Paper Mario games. Paper Mario Thousand Year Door is one of my favorite games. And I just want Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, but more. I want that same thing, but a different story. That's it. Just give me the same game, different story with a few more puzzles in it. That's all. <laughs> have you played, because I only just sort of realized this, have you played um, Pikmin 3 Deluxe yet on the Switch? No, I figured I have my Wii U. There's no reason for me to get the same game, but for the Switch. Okay, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Plus, I don't play well with others, and isn't the whole thing like the co-op mode? Like, I wouldn't use it. <laughs> okay, that's that's Yeah, that's, that's totally a quick fair. way for me to get a divorce. <laughs> play Pikmin <laughs> co-op mode with my partner. <laughs> You're doing it wrong! <laughs> Um, so what else do you like about Pikmin 3 that we've not touched upon tonight? I don't know. I think we touched upon most of it. Mm. I like the little nods to the previous games. I like Easter eggs in, in games. Um, I like putting them in my games. I like discovering them in other people's games. And I like the little nods. Yeah, it's a, just a good game. It's just a solid, good game. It's given me hours of entertainment, and for that, I am very grateful. Mm. What don't you like about it? Um, hmm. What don't I like about Pikmin 3? Let me think. I feel like I'm going to have to probably put on some elevator music. <laughs> I mean, not much. That there's not more mission modes for me to play. <laughs> I've already played the game and beat it in so much. I wish there were even more DLC mission modes for me. Um, oh, you know what? I don't really like the final boss battle. I don't like when I play, I beat it once or twice. And usually I just skip that final boss battle. I just it's not fun for me. It's a chore. Um, he's this like gold dude that kind of like uses all the elements and jabs at you. I don't like things that go f super fast like that. Um, I felt the same way about the desert boss in Breath of the Wild, like speedy things that come at me like that. I just, I don't find them fun. They're a chore. So I just, I do them in order to play the rest of the game. Fair. That, like, that's totally fair. Hmm. Like, yeah, I remember that from Breath of the Wild, just thinking like at times, God, this can be. This is a bit frustrating. Although I'm playing um, master mode, I'm com I'm completing master like 100% completing master mode right now, and the master mode 
um, you know when you do the DLC and you go back the second time to rebeat the bosses, um, in Master Mode DLC, I found the desert boss easier if what was it I've, I don't I forget now because I did it last week but I remember going oh that's it like it was so much harder earlier in the game and now what I'm having trouble with is the DLC master mode of Mifa's Grace one the elephant one which mm. I found super easy normally I think because in the game I would just use bomb arrows for Mifa's Grace one and now I've got like 10 arrows and a, a stabby thing and I just don't know what to do with it <laughs> I haven't figured out like the 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 uh, the trick yet, so I'm working on it. What would you change from a design point of view then? Which feels sacrilegious to ask, considering it is a Nintendo game. Book. From Pikmin three or from Breath of the Wild? From Pikmin. 3. From Pikmin three. What would I change? Um, the final boss battle. I feel like, well, it might just be my my view of it. What makes Pikmin fun is the. Uh, time management so I kind of wish the boss battles of the enemies had more of that involved as opposed to just and here's a battle it almost feels like it's interrupting like you're playing Pikmin you're having fun and then you have to go kill this monster it's like all right let's kill the monster so we can get to back to the fun bit <laughs> I think you touched upon again a point that you made a while ago um and you said it explicitly. You said, I trust Nintendo. I do. Why? Because, well, first of all, there's the nostalgic. They've always been there for me. I grew up with their games. Uh, they make me feel nice. But they've never triggered me. They've never um, upset me. The games are always made very in a very considerate way. Um, they, I've never had a game-killing glitch or game-killing bug in Nintendo games. I've never had a bug that completely destroyed my game or erased my save file. They're very good. I'm a completionist to the point of like an anxiety completionist where like I'll explore every other room before going the direction I think I'm supposed to because I don't want to leave anything behind. And Nintendo is very good at not closing off sections of the game. So if I want to later go 100% complete it, if there's a treasure chest or something in that room, it's very rare that they don't let me return to a place in order to unlock or open up everything. And if they do, they warn me first. Like, before you leave those great beasts in Breath of the Wild, they go like, you won't be able to come back here. Do you want the treasure chest? Do you want to do something here? Because once you go through here, that's it. It's over. And I appreciate that. They, I, I trust them because they, at least for me, they, they've they make games that don't cause me any anxiety they're enjoyable i'm allowed to relax during them and they create environments that make me feel seen and safe so that it's an enjoyable relaxing activity as opposed to one where i have to worry like okay here's the the red flags in the back of my head is this going to be something that triggers me because for me being triggered isn't just like a a cute little like oh i'm going to be so upset it will put me in the hospital I have to be very mindful. I could have so, so I could have panic attacks that are very, very severe, et cetera, et cetera. So I trust Nintendo because they've never done that to me. And I will be I will honestly feel betrayed by a company <laughs> if they ever do for whatever reason, which is tricky. I know. But that's kind of how I feel. No, that's actually uh, really strong reasoning. That really is. Um, I 
like Nintendo games, I can't really sort of speak to that sort of same level of comfort anyway, because like uh, that basically you just described for yourself. Because like I think the only game that sort of provided that, like almost from Nintendo anyway, is Breath of the Wild. Mm. And I think it's because, yes, there are dangerous elements of this world, but this this world that we know of Hyrule mm. is what's the term? What's the expression? This world of Hyrule is very inviting as well. Yeah. And and, and warm. It's it's sort of contradicts maybe a little bit what I'm saying but I think what I'm trying to go for is that there is a sense of there's there's something there for everyone basically yeah I think that's what I'm trying to get to and it's nice that when you talk to characters um some of them are even like oh I remember you from a hundred years ago like it's a place where you already know it you know it from the other games and you also the characters know you um, I think it's really interesting when games don't start off fresh and they start off from you You as the player kind of have to be like, right, well, it seems like I know this player. So what's my relationship with this player or with this character? And that's a really cool like brain puzzle as well. I also appreciate mm. that Nintendo doesn't punish you. Like there's no, if you can get it close enough, like say you're doing one of those Kurok seed um puzzles and you're moving like the metal boxes if you can get it in the vicinity of the area it doesn't have to be perfect nintendo goes great you've proven that you've solved the puzzle therefore you get it as opposed to some games can be very punishing where it's like i get the puzzle i solved it like 20 minutes ago i just physically can't make the piece do what i want it to because my physical hands aren't as skilled as my brain and i like how nintendo has a good balance of knowing this this proves you solved the puzzle. You don't need to prove it any further. You win the end, you know? Top three Pikmin games. How would you rank the series so far? Obviously three at the top, but how would you rank? Three, one, two. Oh, wow. That was really immediate. <laughs> okay, that, that, no hesitation no. <laughs> at all. None. Easy. <laughs> easy, easy. What, why specifically in that order? <laughs> um, well, three is the best one. One okay. is the original, and two's all right. <laughs> two specifically is all right. Yeah, it's fine. One's great. Three's the best. Two's just okay. Two's yeah. a Pikmin oh, game. Well. We're not complaining. It's 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 service. Yeah, I, guess. <laughs> I accept it. It's fine. <laughs> I accept you as the problematic child that you are. <laughs> we joke, but sometimes gamers legit are like that. I'm just like reading some people's tweets like, yo.
Honorable mentions. Go for it. Paper Mario Thousand Year Door. Uh, it's got great story, great characters, great puzzles. It's one of those games that you cannot play it for two years and come back, and there's enough content there that you've forgotten about some things, so you can like replay the puzzles as if it's the first time, and it makes you feel really smart. Um, I like games that make you feel smart. Breath of the Wild, for that exact reason. Those temples make me feel really smart, and there's like 10 different ways to do each temple. I was doing one, or are they called shrines or temples? Shrines, right? Shrines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Shrines, effect. My yeah. bad. Shrines. Um... I was doing one just yesterday and I was literally like almost like a mantra the entire time I was playing. My partner was watching me and I was just like, I know this is not the way they wanted me to do it, but this is the way I'm going to do it. <laughs> Coming up with new ways to do the shrines is really fun. Um, let's see. Top contender. What games do I keep going back to? Let me look at my collection. Um, I have Breath of the Wild there. I have Paper Mario on that one. Mario 64 is also a favorite of mine and the original Paper Mario, but that's like nostalgia reasons. Like I've played Mario 64, I think more times than any other game I've ever played, but simply because I've had it since I was 10. So there's just more time to build it and play it. Um, In the indie sphere, I mean, Undertale is genius. I played Undertale and I was angry because afterwards I was like, shoot, I feel like like, this feels like a game I made. This feels like a game I should have made. And someone beat me to the punch almost. Not that I, you know, not as nearly as good. Or like, I'm not trying to say, oh, I it would I would have made it better. It's just, like, that type of vibe in a game, it almost pushed me to, like, I was playing with the idea of making games before this. And now I've played this game. And I'm angry that I didn't make this. Therefore, all right, I'm a game dev now. Let's, let's do this. <laughs> um... There's a whole bunch of, like, really good, fun indies. Oh, there's one with an Irish voice actor, and it takes place underwater, and the main character's got red hair. That one was really fun. If I could only remember. Let me look up my game thing. There's also Sims, which, especially Sims 4 with all the updates, I keep going back to. I just like living in another world. Anything where I can escape the world and live my own. Oh, Long Live hmm. the Queen. Long Live the Queen is a great visual novel. If you want to get into visual novels and you're not sure and you don't want romance ones and you kind of just want to see the genre, Long Live the Queen is a strategic visual novel. I've played that game endless times. It is so good. And it's made in Renpai. It really shows the power of Renpai, which I also love. Um, let's see. Where is... This War of Mine is a really good game. I'm looking over my game collection now, and I'm just like, oh, this game too. Sayonara World Hearts. Oh, that's such a good game. Uh, Indies are so good. Katawa Shoujo is such a good game. Also a Rempai game. I love it. Okay, so here's a fun one to end on. There is this Flash game that I played in, like, middle school or high school. And I loved it so much that I would re-download it on every computer. It was on my Windows 98. It was on my Windows XP. It is. It was on my Windows 8. And now it's on my Windows 10. And it's so difficult to get a hold of because it's, like, outdated. And it was just, like, a freemium game. Like, not even freemium. It's just a free-to-play game. It's called Ciao Bella. And you play as this um, Italian woman in, I think it's a neighborhood in New York. And she's, it's again a time management game, yo. You, you play, like, you have, like, a week 
and you play as a week and then you have to make sure your family's happy and you have to go to work and you also have to like do yoga and drink water and like take care of yourself and the whole thing is by the end of it you're trying to marry this guy but like if you miss your date obviously he won't go out on you but for the date he wants to bring you to the rink so you need to go get roller skates but then you need to make money and the sometimes working makes like your skin look tired so then you need to do it. and then your parents are just overbearing and telling you all this stuff that you need to do it's like a family management time management game chow bella it's great try it out if you can find it i'm not gonna lie my arse absolutely squeezed when you said sayonara while <laughs> it's such a good game it's such a good game. It's such a phenomenal game. It's in my own top 10 of all time, but it also has so many seminal reasons behind that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it just uh, came, out of, uh, came, uh, came at a very appropriate time, let's say, although I yeah. do write about Unplayed Diaries, but like it came at a very appropriate time yeah. for me, anyway. Say <sighs> la vie. Anyway, top three ever. What would they be? Um, Pikmin 3 at the top. Pikmin three. three. Number two would be Paper Mario Thousand Year Door. <sighs> number three. Oh goodness. I'm inclined to say Sims, because I've been playing Sims since I was ten. Um so I feel like just seniority wise, <laughs> it should be Sims. Because Sims has given me hours upon hours upon hours of entertainment. Um yeah. I feel I feel good about that reasoning. Let's go with that. I got this. So I'm Alana Lanier. <laughs> I'm Tybawai, T-Y-B-A-W-A-I on Twitter. Feel free to follow me. Um, my company is Toad House Games. It's Toad House underscore games on Twitter. Team Toad House on Twitter as well. That's our community. Um, on Instagram, I think we're also Team Toad House and or Toad House Games. It's always one of the two. So feel free to look either for Team Toad House or Toad House Games. You see that little colorful toadstool. You know it's us. Um, but Team Toad House is our self-care clubhouse. We support each other. We do creative activities, cozy activities. It's none of that positive, like fake positivity. You're allowed to talk about your day. Um, we're mostly on Discord. If you want to join, look at the bio link on Twitter for Team Toad House or just go to toadhousegames.com and there's tons of stuff on there. Um, toadhousegames.com has most of our stuff. So if you want to play our games, if you want to apply to work with us, if you want to check out what we're about, if you want to see who is already on the team, all of that is on our website and that's toadhousegames.com.
Oh, shoot. Call me Sarah. Yes. So <laughs> I say I got this and I don't. So next week or next week. Goodness. Could you imagine it was next week? Next year, we have a game coming out called Call Me Sarah. Sarah is C-E-R-A. You can wish list it now on Steam. Steam. So please go to Steam and go to, uh, look for Call Me Sarah. C-E-R-A. It is a visual novel about making friends as an adult and anxiety and it's great. I'm having a lot of fun making it. We also have our vignettes of the Call Me Sarah universe, which we currently have two out. They're both on itch. So toadhousegames.itch.io. Uh, one is Good Looking Home Cooking. It's about two best friends running a food truck park during Ramadan. And we have Roll for Confidence, which is about a trans woman who runs an arcade with her brother. And Using tabletop RPGs in order to experiment with self-expression and what being a woman means to her. Thank you for thinking of me. I always enjoy chatting with you. Likewise, likewise. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I figured you'd be perfect considering the theme of the season anyway, with it all being all Ireland. You never mentioned Ireland once. We didn't. See, that's how you know I'm fucking Irish, because Irish Americans don't shut up about how they're Irish. The fact that I don't say it proves that I'm Irish. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, so did I ever tell you how I so I, I am of the source that the fact that I didn't mention that I was Irish makes this even more Irish. <laughs> Although I was sitting here drinking berries the whole time. So if anyone wants to come at me, I got you. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you have ice in it again like last time? No, no, no. See, now the weather's warmer. <laughs> last we spoke, it was 110 degrees Fahrenheit. That's like 42 degrees Celsius out. I had every right to have ice in my tea. <laughs> no, this is hot because now it's 70 degrees. So it's that like. 20 degrees celsius or something something like that something like that yeah (laughs) i mean the fact that i can convert so quickly to celsius is another fact that proves i'm not actually american (laughs) (laughs) oh my god oh my god zoom's still recording this please can i put this in the episode (laughs) you want to put a little bit of tim's like you didn't mention your irish and me saying well the fact that i didn't mention my irish makes me even more irish feel free to put that bit yes yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to My Favourite Game, a podcast by PlayDiaries.com where people from the games industry come on to talk of their favourite game. If you want to listen to future episodes of My Favourite Game, as well as press play before they go live publicly on PlayDiaries and other podcast platforms, please consider becoming a $2 tier podcast early access patron to our Patreon at patreon.com slash playdiaries. Next week, Michael O'Kane on Ridge Racer Type 4. Until next week, bye-bye.